We are continuing this morning in our series on the Psalms of Ascent. And these Psalms are those that the Israelites would sing in their pilgrimage up to, up to Jerusalem. And they would do this three times a year for these different festivals. And we started in Psalm 120, and this week we're in Psalm 123. And so if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? A song of ascents, to you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned to the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated, friends. This morning, we're going to look at this psalm in two different phases. The first phase being in verses 1 through 2, we're looking at expectant mercy. And the second is we're looking at hopeful mercy in the last couple of verses. And kids, especially those of you fifth grade and under, are you listening well? I want you to listen for three different words. The first word is dog. The second word is actually two words, the rock. And the third word is actually two words, the cross. Dog, the rock, and the cross. So we start out by looking at this expectant mercy that we have in verses 1 through 12. You know what's interesting is that if you read the Psalms a lot, they seem to repeat themselves a lot. In a past summer, we've actually looked at a Psalm that's almost exactly the same as another. And the Psalm this morning starts out very similarly to the one two Psalms ago. In Psalm 121, it says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And in this psalm, it starts out by saying, to you, I lift up my eyes. To you, I lift up my eyes. I want to ask the question, why? I want to make sure that the language that we look at in Scripture is not just assumed. It's not just Christianized language. We're not just baptizing it. So why? Why do we lift our eyes? And this psalm would answer it very simply. We lift our eyes to God because we expect mercy. 
We lift our eyes to God because we expect mercy. I'm going to give you an example of what this looks like. What expectation looks like. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have a dog? All right, if you didn't raise your hand, shame on you. No, I'm playing. We're the owners of a dog fairly recently. She turned five months old yesterday. She lost all of her puppy teeth, which if, you, if you've had a puppy before, uh, God didn't give them teeth. He gave them razors in their mouth. And fortunately, she lost all of those. One of the things that I noticed is the way that she behaves so far at the dinner table. We're trying to train her that she doesn't get any food whatsoever when we're at the table. Because we don't want her bagging and jumping up on the table. But it doesn't change the way that she interacts, right? When we're sitting down for dinner, she still comes up and looks at us with the most sad eyes. Why does she do that? Because she expects that that we'll give her food. Or she expects that if her eyes are just sad enough, we'll give her food. But if you have an older, really well-trained dog, whenever you sit down at the dinner table, he no longer goes up to the family members and gives the puppy dog eyes begging for food. Why not? Why would a really well-trained dog not do that? Because he no longer expects anything, right? If he knows he's not going to get food, he doesn't come up and fix his eyes on you. He knows he's not going to get any food. When the psalmist here says, to you I lift my eyes, it's because he expects something from God. This sentiment of looking to God because you expect something is carried on in verse 2 when it says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. The comparison here is not that of a dog begging for food, but even more human. It's that of a house servant awaiting the kind hand of his master. For how long? For how long does the servant look to his master? If you look at the very last line in verse 2, it says, till he has mercy upon us. The picture painted here is that of a servant looking to the master and looking and looking and looking until the master has mercy. You know what I find interesting about this? The psalm doesn't say in this analogy what preceded the servant looking to the master for mercy, right? What was the servant doing beforehand? Was he obedient? Was he decisive? Was he impetuous? I mean, was he blatantly disobedient? 
For any of you who have watched WWE wrestling, I don't know what to take your laugh as. That's not a sin. That's a righteous thing. I'm playing. Um, look, if you've watched WWE wrestling at all in the past 20 years, you're familiar with a wrestler named The Rock. And if you've seen a movie in the past 20 years, you're familiar with him, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And when he wrestled very frequently, he used to, to ask an opponent his name, but then he, he never really waited for a response. And it went something like this. What's your name? It doesn't matter what your name is. He'd interrupt him. The psalm would say it this way. What did you just do? It didn't matter what you were just doing. Because it doesn't matter, the psalm would say. It doesn't matter what preceded. It doesn't matter what's coming after. Your role is to look to the master. You see, the rock didn't realize he was making a theological point, right? Didn't matter what preceded. Doesn't matter what follows. Your eyes belong in one place on the master. Now, what does this mean for us? It means that if we keep our eyes on him, we must expect mercy. If we keep our eyes on him, we must expect mercy. It's important for us to say this morning, this is a big difference between cultural Christianity and biblical Christianity. Cultural Christianity kind of hopes everything's going to work out in the end. Biblical Christianity knows that it will. And that changes how we live. It changes us. If we live knowing that God's mercy toward us is not merely likely, but expected and certain, then it frees us, doesn't it? For example, expected mercy frees men against many waves in the culture. It frees us from becoming feminized cowards. What do I mean? If we know that God is going to be merciful to us, we are free to risk. We're free to, to move wherever God's calling us. We don't have to be close to where we grew up. We're free. We're free when we're done having children to get a vasectomy, even though it's very scary. We're free to lead our wives in prayer, even if we fall flat on our face. Because we know that even if we fall flat on our face, in that, God is merciful. We're free to lead our children in conversations about the gospel, even if our language isn't clear, 
Even if we mess things up because we know that in that God is going to be merciful. Or some more examples. If we know that God is going to be merciful to us, we can make a biblically gray decision. By that I mean a decision that the Bible doesn't really weigh on. We can make that decision and take the first step in faith. Maybe our gut might be telling us to play it safe. Expected mercy tells us we can step out and play it safe. Or we can step out and take a risk. God's got us in both situations. Because we can expect mercy. Maybe we tend to make emotional decisions. Or maybe you tend to make just completely illogical and rational decisions Expected mercy means you can step out and even go contrary to how you normally operate because it's not your decision-making that keeps you safe in the first place. If there is such a thing as safety, it's merely perceived. What catches us, what holds us, is God's mercy. And this psalm operates under the deep assumption that we as Christians can absolutely expect it. We are to expect mercy from God. And it's interesting as we transition to the last two verses just briefly. The nature of that mercy is hopeful. The nature of that mercy is hopeful If we look again at verses 3 to 4. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease. Of the contempt of the proud. It's in verses 3 to 4 that we see why the psalmist is asking for mercy. He's asking for mercy because he has become the object of contempt for those who are at ease and proud. If you look into these Hebrew words for at ease and proud, you see that kind of behind this is those who, those who have no misfortune. Those who are completely untroubled in life. And as maybe you know from scripture or know from experience, being a Christian does not mean that you are free from misfortune or trouble. And if you look at scripture, or even you look at church history, throughout that, God's people have had some of the most misfortune and trouble. If you sense that that it's describing you, the psalmist is relating to you here. You see people who seem to be at perpetual ease and they have contempt for you. You don't have to go far today 
in 2020 alone to feel like others have contempt of you for very different reasons. For your view on who you're going to vote for, for mask, view, different views of race, view of your, you know, if you're pregnant, if you, if you have hair. I'm losing mine slowly. I'm still hoping that it won't be as, that I'll continue to have more hair than Pastor Blake, but you know what? I'm catching up. There's no reason for him to feel contempt for me, you know, because the nature of our mercy is hopeful. And the psalmist asks for his end to his suffering. He asks for a silence of all those who are deriding him. And he asks for one that leads to hope. Now, let me ask this, just in closing. Where can we go in which hope is expected and that mercy leads to great hope? Because there's only one place. The cross of Jesus Christ. Do you think it's an accident that whether it's Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, whether it's the Psalms saying some 40-something times, I lift up my eyes, I look up to you, that Jesus was nailed to a Roman cross on a hill for everyone to see. He wasn't buried alive underground. This public display of contempt and scorn upon the Son of God as he hung there. Friends, Jesus is dead for you. It is the only place in the entire universe you can go and absolutely expect mercy because he turns none away who comes to him and the mercy that he gives friends at least I hope in which all derision all scorn is removed and upon you it is declared you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased Let's live as those who know that they can expect mercy from God and see that that mercy changes us and produces us, produces in us a hope that will not disappoint. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would make these things sure and true for us. Enable us, we pray. To believe that in Jesus we can expect hope and that I hope frees us. In his name we pray. Amen.